About that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it please the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to guard him, intending after Easter, after Passover, to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. An angel came around, and he smote Peter on the side and said, Get up quickly, and his chains fell off his hands. Gird yourself, bind on your sandals, and so he did. Cast your garment about you and follow me. And he went out, followed him. Wist not that it was true what was done. And when we passed the first and the second ward, they came to the iron gate that led into the city, which opened to them of its own account. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod, and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark where many were gathered together praying. And he came and knocked on the door. And a damsel, when she heard that, she went to the door. Her name was Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness. She ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said to her, You're mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, It must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they had opened the door, they saw him. They were astonished. But he, beckoning unto them with a hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, a man who was faithful in teaching the Word of God for more than 60 years throughout the Northwest. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. As you listen, you can expect the Word of the living God to encourage, challenge, and comfort you. We live in difficult times, but we can expect our God to provide answers to the big questions in your life through His Word. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Luke now writes of Peter one last time here in Acts chapter 12. And we don't hear of Peter again until he writes from Babylon in his first epistle. And for some reason, Herod the king imprisoned some of those in the church, and he killed James, the brother of the apostle John. And seeing how this pleased the Jews, he arrested Peter also, intending to do the same to him. But God had other plans. And because of prayer being made in a house church for Peter, God sent an angel to miraculously deliver Peter out of prison. With such joy that a young girl by the name of Rhoda heard the voice of Peter outside at the gate, 
She forgot to open the gate, but ran inside to say, Peter's outside. And the prayer group had a hard time believing that God had answered their prayer. Let's join Dr. Mitchell in Acts chapter 12, verse 1 on the Unchanging Word Bible broadcast. Today, friends, we again come to you, and we're in the book of Acts. And we've come to some tremendous movements of the Spirit of God in this book as we go from chapter to chapter. Now we're in chapter 12, where we have the Apostle Peter in prison. And when you come to the end of the chapter, that's the end of Peter. Starting chapter 13, the Apostle Paul comes on the scene. He and Barnabas, the beginning of three great missionary journeys. I want you to mark that the, um, the moving again, and I don't mind repeating this, as you think through the book of Acts. And by the way, it's a good thing to do, to read the book through a number of times and then sit down and think about what you've read. You notice how the Spirit of God moves. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the Lord Jesus had said, You shall receive power. After that, the Spirit of God has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, when you come to chapter 2 and chapter 3, you have where Peter preaches to the Jewish people, to the nations. In chapters 4 and 5, Peter gives his testimony to the leaders of Israel. When you come to chapter 8, you have the gospel going to the Samaritans. In chapter 10, to the Gentiles. In chapter 11, Peter's on the carpet because he has gone into the house of a Gentile. And chapter 11 ends uh, with the gospel in Antioch. So it's from Jerusalem, Samaria, Caesarea, to Antioch. And now no longer does Jerusalem become the center of missionary activity. Uh, Antioch becomes the center. I say this because of what you have at the end of chapter 11, of how the Jewish people, the Jewish believers, sent Barnabas to see what was going on in Antioch, and he found a real move of the Spirit of God. So wonderful that he didn't go back to Jerusalem to minister. He went out and got Saul of Tarsus and brought him to, to Antioch, and they stayed a whole year teaching the people the Word of God. And they, they were first of all called Christians, in Antioch. Now, starting at chapter 12, uh, we have Peter in prison. And if I may be allowed to read, for example, the first few verses, just to pick up the connection of the song, the story. About that time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers, that would be sixteen soldiers, to keep him, to guard him, intending after Easter, after Passover, to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Let me just stop right here for a moment. Now, here you have this man, King Herod. And you remember, he, the, the chapter starts, he, he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because it was a good political move, it, free, it pleased the Jews. Jews were happy about that. He thought, well, I'll go ahead and take Peter and uh, kill him too. That'll put me in with the Jews. See, 
he didn't care about Peter or James. He was thinking about his political position. So he slew James, the brother of John, and then he, slew, and he put Peter in jail with the intent of killing him too. By the way, lest some of you don't know, uh, the book of James, which is written by James the Apostle, and also you find in the book of Acts, when Paul comes, came back after his third missionary journey, find it also in chapter 15 at the great council of Jerusalem, James is the brother of the Lord. This is not James the Apostle. James the Apostle here, the brother of John, is killed. The James that comes into prominence later on is the brother of our Savior. He was called James the Just, and he was the one who wrote the epistle of James. Let's come back to Acts. King Herod, as I said a moment ago, he didn't care a thing about life. He just as soon knock your head off as not. Now you notice there are four, four Herods in the New Testament, and there's not a good one among them. There's Herod the Great, and you remember he was the one who slew the innocents in Luke chapter 2. And then you have Herod the Tetrarch. Pardon me, that was in Matthew chapter 2. Then you've got Herod the Tetrarch, and he was the one who killed John the Baptist. Then there's this King Herod who killed James. And then you have Herod Agrippa, later on in the, chapter, in the book, in chapter 26, and he was the one who uh, really put his authority in sending Paul as a prisoner to Rome. And by the way, Herod Agrippa didn't have a very good reputation either. None of them had. Uh, these, were, these were bad kings, kings over Israel. And here we see the opposition to the gospel headed up in a king. I remember when our Lord was on the earth, the Pharisees were the ones who were forward in their opposition to the Savior and the Lord Jesus was crucified. He was killed. In the beginning of the book of Acts, you'll find the Sadducees. Uh, these were the, um, the liberals of the day, and they were the ones who, who persecuted the, the, the apostles and threw them in jail. And now you have the opposition is headed up in a king, and he killed James and was ready to kill, kill Peter. Now we have two forces at work in verses 4 and 5, 4, 5, and 6. You have the two, two great movements, two forces at work. You have Herod, Herod and his soldiers on one hand, and then you have a, a church praying for Peter on the other hand. Who's going to work? Who's going to win out? Of course, before you get through the chapter, you'll find the church a weak, praying church has more authority and more power than Herod and all his soldiers. In fact, it ends up with an empty cell. Uh, when you come to the end of the chapter, it is true you have Herod receiving worship and how God moves on him and judges him, which I may mention at the end. Now, from verses 4 to 17, you have Peter in prison. Let me just say a word about dear old Peter. Now, Peter's in prison, and he's sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. And then the keepers before the door kept the prison. So you've got two soldiers in the cell with Peter, chained, and Peter's chained to them. And outside the cell door, you've got two more soldiers. And you've got 16 soldiers all together, four at a time. Now, Herod is very determined he's going to hold Peter for execution. 
you know, I oftentimes wonder about dear old Peter. Ah. Uh, didn't look very good for him, did it? James beheaded him. Peter chained the two soldiers inside the cell, two soldiers outside the door of the cell, and I suppose there were others all through the jail. How in the world is Peter going to get out? And yet that fellow fell asleep. I've oftentimes said most of us Christians, if we were put in a jail for our testimony's sake, we're going to have our heads chopped off the next morning. We'd all have, uh, we wouldn't sleep all night. I don't know what we do. Pray, I suppose. Uh, maybe you would be full of, uh, what shall I say, bitterness. Lord, I've been preaching for you. I've been working for you. And here I'm in jail. And what if it, why should this come to me? No, this is entirely, perfectly in the will of God. Like Paul could say in Ephesians 3, 1, Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. A prisoner of Jesus Christ, never a prisoner of Rome. Now, yes, Peter, in prison. The Lord is still on the throne. He's still working all things out. But the thing that amazes me was that Peter slept. He must have had real rest of heart and of mind. He's asleep. By the way, if you follow Peter's history, Peter's a good sleeper. You ever notice that? You remember in Luke's Gospel, chapter, is it 8 or 9, chapter 9, Peter's on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he, and, he, and he slept. There was the Lord with Moses and Elias, and uh, Peter fell asleep. Slept with the Lord in his glory. And you remember, uh, in all the Gospels, you'll find where Peter slept in the garden, our Lord in his agony. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he came and found his disciples, Peter, James, and John, asleep, sleeping again. Now he's in jail, and he's still sleeping. You know, most of us, it's easier, can I put it this way, it's easier to sleep than it is to pray. If you find that you can't sleep at night, you get out of bed and start to pray, get on the, by your bed on your knees and start to pray, and I'll guarantee, unless you pray audibly, you'll fall asleep. I say it's easier to sleep than it is to pray. I, I just suggest this, dear old, dear old Peter here, he's asleep. And as I say, Herod was determined to hold Peter for execution. Now let's look at Peter. An angel came around, and he smote Peter, verse 7. He smote Peter on the side and said, Get up. Get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Gird yourself, find on your sandals. And so he did. Cast your garment about you and follow me. And he went out, followed him. Wist not that it was true what was done. He thought he was having a, having a dream. And when we were past the first and the second ward, they came to the iron gate that led into the city which opened to them of its own account. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod. And from all the expectation of the people of the Jews, boy, they were really living in expectation of Peter having his head cut off. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. He would be uh, the nephew of Barnabas, where many were gathered together praying. I notice this now. Here's Peter in jail, and as far as the church knew, he was still in jail in a cell chained to soldiers. And he came and knocked on the door. And a damsel, when she heard that, she went to the door. Her name was Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness. She ran in 
and told how Peter stood before the gate, and they said to her, You're mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, It must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, persistent old Peter. And when they had opened the door, they saw him. They were astonished. But he, beckoning unto them with a hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go, show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Let me just stop right here. You know, it's an amazing thing how much we are just like the early church. Here was the church praying. They had an all-night prayer meeting. Peter's in jail, going to have his head cut off. And if Peter's head is cut off, who's going to lead the people of God? Well, Peter was the recognized leader. James has been beheaded, now Peter. So they prayed all night, I guess. But they didn't believe their prayers were going to be answered. Oh, let me tell you something, my friend. Even the prayers of a weak, weak, doubting church was far more powerful than Herod and all his soldiers, than Herod and all his cells and all his jails. Oh, that we Christians could realize that our God is El Shaddai. There's nothing too hard for God. How we limit God in what he can do. The Lord is delighted when we come to him. You remember in, in Luke chapter 18, the first verse, where the Lord said, Men ought always to pray and not to faint. Why, it's easier to faint than it is to pray. All of us know something about praying. We teach about praying, preach about praying. If you're a Christian worker, you've all, you've all heard and have taught yourself this question of praying. And we're just like the early church. They didn't believe that God was going to answer their prayers. Uh, they were praying and expecting Peter to have, be taken out the next morning and have his head cut off. And when he came knocking at the door, they wouldn't believe it. They said, no, it must be his angel. It must be a spirit. It must be somebody else. Couldn't be Peter. Why, Peter's chained to two soldiers, and he's got two soldiers outside his cell, and he's got to go through all that jail to get out. Now it's impossible for a man to get out of there. You see, they were looking at their circumstances instead of Christ. Isn't it just like you and me? Isn't it just like you and me? You know the thing that I, I'm amazed at? That God answered their prayers. You see, he answers prayers because he loves us. He answers prayers because he's working out his purpose. And he calls you and me to cooperate with him. Praying is cooperating with God. When I pray in the will of God, I'm cooperating with God because it's pleased God to use men and women to reach people with the word of God. Please don't limit God. He's still the El Shaddai, the Almighty God, the one who revealed himself to Abraham, to Job. And even when you come to the book of Revelation, he could say, I am the first, I am the last. I am he that was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Who am the El Shaddai? the Almighty God, and He loves you. How can I reach Him? Through praying? You see, this is the tool God has given to us to reach the throne of grace, to come into His presence. You take a verse like Hebrews 4, 16. Let us come with boldness to the throne of grace and there obtain mercy and find grace to help 
every time of need. Are you taking Hebrews 2.18? He's able to succor them that are tested. Or Hebrews 7.25, Wherefore he is able to save perfectly every one who comes unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. You see, he never gets tired praying for you, praying for me. Spirit of God never gets tired praying for you, praying for me. But the wonderful thing is that we too can come into the very presence of God. And even though the thing may look impossible, like it did here, for example, in this passage, how is Peter going to be set free? Is there anyone going to be able to get past the guards and past Herod's soldiers and pass the guards round the cells and get into the cell and break the chains? Only God can do that, and he did it. He answered the prayers of a weak church. You know, I like that little verse, and I've quoted it before in the 34th Psalm, the ear of the Lord is open to the cry of the righteous, the righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and the Lord delivereth them out of all their troubles. Or as the old English version is, the Lord cocks his ear to hear the weakest cry of his, the faintest cry of his weakest child. And here they are. They don't even believe God heard their prayers and answered them. But Peter is there, and I read in verse 17, he said to them, Go show these things unto James and to the brethren, that's James, the brother of our Lord. And he departed and went into another place. Now why didn't he do what he did in chapter 5? When the angel got Peter and John out of jail, the angel said, You go back and continue your preaching. And they went back into the temple and did their preaching. Why didn't he do the same thing here? Oh, no. Oh, no. You can't put God in a rut. What he did in chapter 5 doesn't mean it's got to be done in chapter 12. You know what Peter did? Peter used his head. He's out of jail. And if you got out of jail, what would you do? You'd make yourself scarce. That's exactly what Peter did. He departed and went to another place. Doesn't say where he went. You don't know. I don't know. Only God knows where he went. But he made himself scarce. Because I'm sure the soldiers would be looking for him. Now the rest of the chapter, from verse 18, right down to the end, down through verse 23, you've got the instance of Herod. Herod receiving worship and praise from the people. You remember he went out of Caesarea. And it is said that, according to Josephus, that he had a, a coat of silver armor on. And when the sun shone on the coat of armor, it so glistened that the people said he was a god. That's why you have in verse, in verse 22, it is the voice of a god and not of a man. You can just see the shining of the sun on his armor, and as he spoke to them and gave an oration, why they said this is the voice of a god. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him, because he gave not God the glory. He came under the judgment of God. You see, he was robbing God of glory. He's going to kill God's man, Peter. He's already killed James. Now he wants the glory from God. And God wouldn't stand for that. And the result was the judgment of God fell upon him. Now notice the contrast. In verse 23, the Lord smote him. He gave not God the glory. He was eaten of worms and gave up the Spirit. But, but the word of God grew and multiplied. I kind of like that. The word of God grew and multiplied. 
Whenever there is opposition to the gospel, the word of God grows and multiplies. When God's people are persecuted for their testimony's sake, the word of God grows and multiplies. People get saved. It's always a move with the Spirit of God where you have opposition because when there's opposition, it means there's some real thing going on for God. So I suggest to you, urge you to walk with God today and witness for Him and love Him, will you? Take the time to spend time in His presence. And the Lord bless you for His name's sake. Help me, Lord, when toil and from a father's hand one by one the days the moments fleeting till I reach the promised land till I reach the promised land till I Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study today. Write to us with your comments and your prayer requests to the Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon, 97338. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Radio Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.